Hey everybody, happy AFC Championship weekend. Uh, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 40th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. 40 is the number of receiving touchdowns for the Chiefs this year, uh, second most in franchise history behind only the 2018 MVP season by Patrick Mahomes. Um, Anyway, our goal today, just as always, to be worth your time. This week, we're going to do that with a foolish, I will say foolish, breakdown of the AFC Championship game between the Chiefs and the Bills. Another loaded batch of questions coming in from all over the country, ranging from uh, the comfort of going to this game in person to Mahomes running options to the offensive line and what's been the Chiefs' best game so far this season. Um, okay, uh, the Stars running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now. Uh, dollar a month for three months for all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs content than you can find anywhere else. Uh, you can find that on our website or just reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I will send the link along. Um, I appreciate all of you who've listened and written in asking for that link. Your support means everything to me and uh, more importantly to the people I work with. So um, thank you. Um, Okay, let's talk about this game on Sunday. Um, You have to start with Patrick Mahomes and, you know, not just because that's where every Chiefs game starts. Right. But, uh, you know, he's in the concussion protocol this week and there's at least some uncertainty about whether he'll be able to play on Sunday. If he doesn't play, like, obviously that's an enormous development. Um, That will be a huge part of how this game is viewed, documented, remembered. Um, You know, this is all just opinion. But for me, you know, I think the Chiefs would go from something like a 60% win probability to more like 20. Um, I just, Mahomes is that important. I really do believe that. But um, look, that's all the time we're going to spend talking about him not playing, uh, actually, just because I've become convinced that he's going to play. Uh, no, nothing is 100 percent. And, you know, once you're in the protocol, it can be difficult to get out. Uh, you know, things could be on the right track. And then a symptom pops up on day five that wasn't there on day four. And then you can't play. But everything I'm hearing leads me to believe that he's going to go. Um, I communicated with one person close to it early in the week who I know fairly well and and he offered like the specific form of optimism that he was emphasizing was very cautious but you know look like without explaining all this in detail he kind of did it in a way that made me think he was kind of sandbagging it you know what I mean Um, and then I talked to someone else close to it who was just sure that Mahomes would play I also think it's it's notable at least that Tyreek Hill in his zoom conference the other day seemed to indicate that he expected Mahomes to play as well so anyway that's what we're going to go with the assumption that Patrick Mahomes will play football against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday and you know if that's how it goes and they win you guys like this is really setting up as like this screw you tour for Mahomes and uh, I I went into depth on this in a column that um, I should be up on the website soon if it's not already Um, I really hope you read it but just to lay out the the very very basics here Mahomes has always performed his best when he's sort of against the wall and he's been really clear that he uses any perceived slight like jet fuel. And, you know, at the moment, we've seen his worst four game stretch put at least some shade on, you know, his season from some national observers. We've seen a concussion protocol that, if cleared, would give him a sort of, you know, like Willis Reed one runway here. Um, an AFC championship game against a guy many were putting at or above him in MVP conversation. 
and then a potential Super Bowl against either the guy that I assume will win MVP in Aaron Rodgers or the guy Tom Brady that has six Super Bowl rings. So this is all stuff that Mahomes has shown that he thrives on. And it is stacking up in a really amazing way for him. Um, obviously, it's not that simple. So um, I wanted to put out two things uh, specifically that I'm going to be looking for on Sunday. Uh, one, when the Chiefs have the ball and the other when the Bills have it. When the Chiefs are on offense, um, for me, it's the line, you guys. Like, you know, we'll talk about the line more later in one of the questions. But in this game specifically, I'm watching how they react to blitzes. Uh, that that part of it was a mess against the Falcons, and it nearly cost the Chiefs Chiefs the game. You know, if not for a perfect route by Demarcus Robinson on on that game winner, and you know the defense's best performance of the season, I think the Chiefs would have lost that game. So, um, you know, Mahomes was proactive on this. He he brought up the problem before he was asked about it after the game. Reed was sure to take some of the blame. Um, you know, we we know it's not that simple, right? But. Uh, whatever the specific problems are, um, I always thought it was relative, relevant and helpful that they'd have 21 days between that Falcons game and the first playoff game to fix it. That is a really long time. Uh, that's almost as long as the padded practice portion of training camp, for crying out loud. And, you know, I, I thought we saw that work pay off against the Browns. Um, if you look at pro football focus, the Browns got pressure on just six of Mahomes' 31 dropbacks. That's incredible. Compare that to 18 pressures on 46 dropbacks against the Falcons. It's, it's a huge difference. So, uh, you know, now look, the, the Browns don't blitz a lot. And they actually don't generate as much pressure as you might expect from a team with Miles Garrett. So, you know, playing the Bills, that's a bigger challenge. Um, the Bills pressured Lamar on 14 of 30 dropbacks in the division round. So I, I know I'm oversimplifying here, but um, I believe this to be true. If, if the Chiefs, and this is the line, this is Mahomes' pre-snap protection calls, this is Andy Reid and everybody else. But if the Chiefs can limit the Bills pressure on Mahomes, then I believe they're going to score a lot of points, you know, no matter how the Bills play their safeties or what kind of emphasis they put on taking away long passes. So if the Chiefs, or if, I'm sorry, if the Bills get consistent pressure on the Chiefs, then I think it's going to be, you know, much, much harder. Um, okay. When the Bills have the ball, look like uh, Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley are among the best pass catching duos in the league. These guys, especially Diggs, but you know, these guys are both stars, um, you know, whose skills uh, complement each other. Uh, Beasley will stay in the, in the slot most of the time, but the Bills can move digs around and you know kind of find the best matchups. He torched Charvarius Ward in in Week Six, and you know especially with Bashad Breeland's status unknown, and especially with the Bills you know seeming to call nothing but passes now. That's a big thing to keep an eye on. But that's not what I want to most emphasize right here when the when the Bills have the ball. Like the Chiefs are going to have to tackle Josh Allen. Uh, and that is not an easy task. They're going to have to tackle him in the backfield when they get a chance. Um, they're going to have to do it with multiple guys because Allen, I think he is the best in the league at using you know strength and size to get out of sacks and then make plays either throwing downfield or running. He's basically like <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger in his prime that way, except a much better athlete, <laughs> more agile. Um, you know, when, when Josh Allen runs and not just away from pressure, but uh, they design, they they call a lot of design runs for him. Uh, but when when Allen runs, the Chiefs need to avoid missed tackles. Um, Willie Gay's status is unknown for Sunday. Uh, his speed could be useful to spy Allen some. So I don't know if 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 Gay can't go, then maybe that becomes Damian Wilson. 
uh, maybe even Dorian O'Daniel in some situations. The the Bills are a really good team, and you know you could make a case that they are the best team that the Chiefs have pl- played in the playoffs in the last three seasons. The the pot, the exceptions could be the 49ers in last year's Super Bowl and the Patriots in the 2018 AFC Championship game. But I'm not sure there's a big difference between this Bills team and, and those two teams. Um, you know, I, I've changed my thinking on this, on how this game's going to go uh, from earlier in the week. Like, I, I'm expecting the line actually to have some problems with protection and, you know, certainly more issues than they had against the Browns. And I'm expecting the defense to do fairly well against Josh Allen. And, you know, not just because that group is, is trending in the right direction, especially Tyron Matthew, um, but because they, they've had success against mobile quarterbacks. Um, you know, if we can throw out that Week 17 game when the starters weren't going, you look at the Chiefs facing uh, Deshaun Watson in the season opener, Justin Herbert Week 2, Lamar Jackson Week 3, and Josh Allen in Week 6. Um, none of those teams scored more than 20 points against the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs have scored the four teams, four games, um, the Chiefs gave up 29 or more. The Raiders twice, the Panthers, and the Saints. Each of those teams had uh, pocket quarterbacks. So, you know, depending on how you classify Tua Tagovailoa, um, and he only rushed six times for 24 yards against the Chiefs in that game. Um, but every team that scored more than 20 points against the Chiefs this year did it with a pocket quarterback. So, you know, thinking about that, I'm now thinking that this will be a lower scoring game where, you know, the Chiefs make the plays at the end that need to be made, uh, kind of like what we've seen for most of the last couple of months, you know, 26-23, something like that. That's how it feels to me at the moment anyway. Look, before we move on to the rest of the show, uh, the podcast is free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. We work hard to bring you information and perspectives that you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, uh, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. Please help us, support us, give the Sports Pass a try. Again, you can try it for a dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Best deal in town. Um, You can find those links online or again, reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I'll send them along. Okay, so if you want to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone, call anytime, 816-234-4365, or as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BEG-IDLE quick break and then we're back with those questions sam seth s kansas city missouri um saw your tweet long time listener first time caller uh so I am and my wife are going to the AFC championship game at Arrowhead on Sunday. Um, and we have taken the pandemic very seriously. Um, I haven't eaten inside of, inside of a restaurant, uh, in, in 10 months. Um, and, uh, don't go to bars, uh, have done the social distancing thing, mask wearing thing. Uh, but do plan to go, uh, to my first sporting event, sport event, uh, and uh, I, I need I need your help to not feel guilty. So whatever you can say to make me feel less guilty about going to my first AFC Championship game, one of my bucket list sporting events that I know is the closest I will get to the Super Bowl in person, uh, just help me. Help me feel less guilty, Sam. I need your help. 
Yeah. So first of all, let me just say, like, <laughs> this was the best week of questions we've had since we started the show. Um, if we had time, I could have used like 20 interesting questions this week. So apologize in advance, but I'm hoping to mix some of them in in uh, in future shows. But anyway, this is a great question to start because I, I think it hits on something a lot of people are feeling, you know, whether they're football fans or not. And look, like, I know I say this a lot, but I say it a lot because it's true. Uh, we're all guessing, right? Um, we can tilt the odds in our favor, you know, with simple steps we should all be taking, like masks and distancing. But, you know, I have a friend who's convinced that she got COVID from a relatively short meeting where both people were wearing masks. And I have friends who've been, you know, COVID free without taking what I would consider reasonable precautions. So I, I can't tell you how to act or whether you should feel guilty for going to this game or, or treat it like a reward and a once in a lifetime experience. That's up to you. But what I can tell you is that what I see at these games does not align with the perspective. It seems that some people have that it's just like some massive COVID, you know, super spreader event every weekend. Like, are, are there fans who violate the mass requirements? Of course, 100 percent. Are there exposures and infections that come from these games? Like, I assume so. Um, it, it's hard to believe that there haven't been, but there have been no outbreaks tied to the games. And I think that's important to point out. And if, if you're thinking about you and whoever you're going with, I mean, look, like, I think you could make the experience whatever you want. You know, uh, attendance is limited enough that if you're not going to be, you know, elbow to elbow with strangers, right? And you're outside. So if you make it a priority, I think you can stay away from exposure fairly easily. I also think this is important. Like, you need to live, right? Like, we all need to be able to do what we love and 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 have some fun every once in a while. Like the the world is full of people who cannot wait <laughs> to judge your behavior, but you know maybe themselves they're they're acting like there's some sort of exception. I think that that exists all the time, and it drives me crazy. You know, people they'll they'll think you're nuts for going to a game, but you know they went to a bar or a restaurant or you know the Nelson Atkins or or something else that you might think is an unnecessary risk. So I don't have the answers for you. I don't think anybody else does either, but. But, um, you know, I would have loved to find a way for my kids to go to a game this season. We never did. But it honestly, like it wasn't the COVID risk. You know, I was just I was skeptical of that. I just want to be clear on this. I was very skeptical of allowing fans when the, when the Chiefs announced that. But after seeing it in practice, I, I don't see it as a bigger risk than, you know, a lot of things that are completely social, socially acceptable. So um, for me, it's just more about like wanting I want my kids first arrowhead experience to be like more authentic. Um, I don't know if that's exactly the right word, but, you know, more like normal, whatever that means now. Um, and hopefully we can do that next season. But anyway, don't feel guilty. You're not breaking any rules. You're not breaking any laws. You're going to an event that's been vetted by public officials, right? And one that hasn't been shown to have created any outbreaks. So look, Seth, I, I wouldn't feel guilty, you know, feel excited, right? So anyway, okay, here's a question that I know was on a lot of your guys' minds. Hi, my name is Christian. I'm uh, from Salina, Kansas. And uh, I was just going to ask if we should not necessarily be worried, but if we would are more likely to see Andy Reid go away from play calls where Mahomes is, you know, directed running options um, at all after this latest scare. Because we all know that uh, he didn't want anything to do with the quarterback sneak after the injury in Denver last year, but I feel like anytime he's seriously injured, it's from a play where he's going to run the ball. So that's my question. Thank you very much, Sam. 
Well, he says he won't. You know, um, Andy was asked about this on Monday, and he said he sees the play remaining as part of the offense going forward. You know, he mentions that it's it's a run toward the edge, puts Mahomes in more space than he'd be on, you know, like a quarterback sneak. And I also think he makes a good point in that if you can't trust your quarterback to run that play, then you probably shouldn't have him in the game because there's a, a chance he's going to make a similar run like that on, on basically any snap if he's got to avoid pressure and, and run down the field. So whatever it's worth, I'm with Andy on this. They've been running options with Mahomes for a while now, and there haven't been any problems until a really awkward and strange tackle against the Browns. You know, uh, Nobody was complaining about the option when Mahomes had a walk-in touchdown on it earlier in the game. So um, the interesting part of this to me is just like kind of the lack of consistency, right? Because, you know, Reed has been pretty open about the sneaks. He, he hasn't called one since Mahomes' kneecap went sideways in, in Denver last season. And he's admitted that's why. And even acknowledged that the hesitation, you know, doesn't make a lot of like logical sense. Um, whatever it's worth, I get it. And, you know, I've, I've come to think of it similarly, you know, to the feeling you might get if you drive by like an otherwise safe stretch of road where you happen to get in an accident a while back. You know, I'd also point out that this is important and something I think we don't talk or think about sometimes, but if there's any hesitation in Mahomes or his lineman after that sneak in Denver last year, then it makes even more sense to put that thing on the shelf. And the th- same thing can be said about the option if Mahomes has any hesitation or read or his coaches, you know, sense any hesitation. I, I mentioned this earlier in the week, but, you know, Mahomes is pretty terrible at sliding. <laughs> like, it, it's a strange sort of hole in his game. And, you know, the one thing he does on a field that's just not like not great, but actually like pretty terrible. Um, just a weird thing. Um, it's always been weird. But OK, next question. And, and let's talk some offensive line. Hi, this is Mike from Brookfield, Missouri. Just had a question for you. So do you think if we win the Super Bowl that our offensive line will ever get the credit they deserve? Um, And then if we don't, will they be to blame in everyone's views? Um, I just feel like the offensive line's gone really underrated this year with how many people we've lost. No national media wants to give us that attention um, that we've lost more starters than most, actually. And also, do you think Clyde Edwards... And Darrell Williams can form the one-two punch that we need in the playoffs, kind of like we had last year just with Damian Williams. Um, and the run game actually opens up the whole offense for us and gets us clicking again. Thanks for the thanks for the time. Bye. The offensive line has had a really strange go this year. Um, it looked like the whole thing would be back in full, you know, and then Laurent Duvernay-Tardif opted out, and then Kalechi Osimile, you know, the guy that was signed to place LDT, ripped both his knees and then you know Mitchell Schwartz their best offensive lineman hasn't played since week six um you know against the Saints with Mike Remmers out Andrew Wiley played right tackle uh for the first time as a professional so in that game the Chiefs had their fourth choice playing left guard their third choice playing right tackle and their first choice playing in just two spots um one of which was Eric Fisher who was obviously slow and stiff with a back injury. So um, offensive lines are hard to judge. You know, for a lot of people, you know, we, we notice them only when there's a penalty or pressure on the quarterback. But, you know, it's just not that simple. Um, you know, if we're trying to be fair, uh, a lot of pressures are actually the quarterback's fault. And, you know, history shows that sack rate, for example, like it, it's a lot stickier on the quarterback than it is a team or an offensive line. Um, you know, I, I've never talked with or listen to an offensive lineman talk about his job in general or a play specifically and not learn something. Um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of snaps that look one way, but you know, after you hear the assignments or circumstances, you see it's a completely different way. Um, look, whatever it's worth, 
Um, I, the, you know, the Chiefs rank seventh in pass blocking on pro football focus. They're fourth in adjusted sack rate on football outsiders. And they're 16th in pressure percentage, according to pro football reference. So, you know, without going deeper into the numbers, like I, I've generally been pretty close to Mike on this. I don't think the offensive line has been great. Um, but I do think they've been much better than it seems like most fans give them credit for. Uh, in part because Mahomes has created a lot of these pressures on his own. He's, he's holding the ball too long. He's drifting too far back in the pocket. He breaks the pocket when he doesn't need to. Um, you know, I've, I've been critical of that group some in the past, um, but I give them and Andy Heck, the offensive line coach, I give them a lot of credit here for keeping that thing together with all these moving parts. Um, you know, the biggest concern I've had uh, from them was, you know, highlighted in that Falcons game. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but, you know, it looked like they were simply not picking up the blitzes. And, um, you know, Mahomes jumped on the blame for that. Um, you know, these 21 days, it sure looked like the thing was moving a lot better um, against the Browns, didn't it? I mean, that, he was pressured hardly at all. Um, Daryl Williams had running lanes. You know, it was one of the better games they played all season, um, even with a few bad penalties. So, you know, Buffalo is going to be a harder test for those guys. And, you know, if the Chiefs play in the Super Bowl, then they'll have a huge challenge with either the Packers or the Bucks. So anyway, I'm with Mike. I, I think the line has been a lot better than some people believe. Um, okay, here's Ben. Sam calling for a question on the podcast. My name is Ben. I'm from St. Louis. And the question is, what do you think was the Chiefs' most convincing win this year? If you had to have them play one type of game going into the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl, uh, what performance would you rather uh, replicate or want them to replicate? What was their most convincing Chiefs win? Baltimore, Tampa, Houston, Buffalo, what would it be? Uh, ben from St. Louis. See ya. Yeah, so um, Ben mentions the games I think a lot of us would consider the best of the season. Um, I'd add the Saints game here. Um, I actually thought that might have been the most impressive win of the season, all things considered. You know, opponent, context, the, the problems that we just talked about on the offensive line. And, you know, that is a bunch of savages that the Saints have rushed in the past. So that, that was a hell of a win. Um, so many great plays in that game. Uh, just a really strong performance all around. Um, I, I suppose there could be an argument for the, the game in Denver, too. Um, just an absolute whooping, um, you know, dominant performances from special teams in the defense. But, um, you know, for me, it's the Ravens game uh, week three, you know, just take into account quality of opponent profile of the game the way that thing played out you know i mean that that first half is as good as a football team can play not just anybody you know um and after that first half is basically just you know keeping the clock going so when when i close my eyes and just think about the chiefs at their best it's basically what they looked like against the ravens they were too fast on the edges they were too strong in the middle andy reed was hitting all the right notes with the play calling they dominated third downs on both sides um, you know, rip the Ravens apart with the screen game, flash some of that, you know, like classic Andy stuff with the smoked sausage and the touchdown pass to Eric Fisher. Uh, that game was incredible. I mean, just a, a ridiculously thorough marriage of talent and execution. Um, they overwhelmed a really good team that had been thinking about that game for months. So, um, I don't know, man. Like to me, that's just, that's as good as it gets. And, if the Chiefs play a half like that on Sunday, they're going to the Super Bowl. And if they play a half like that in the Super Bowl, then we're going to have whatever version of a parade or celebration that 2021 allows. Um, okay, uh, that was going to be it, but <laughs> just one more question here. Um, okay. I read your article every day. 
Wednesday, January the 20th, is a good article. My name is Top Gun from Astro Cement. Keep up the good work. Look, guys, um, I don't have a response here. Um, and to be honest, I don't even think this was intended for the podcast. But I, look, if you call in and tell me that your name is Top Gun, I'm going to put you on the show. All right. Um, OK, thanks for the questions. You really did show up for me this week and I appreciate it. Coleman, Evil Monkey, Eric, Michael, Jay, Wade, so many others. Um, sorry I couldn't get to you this week, but I'm saving some of those questions um, and maybe we can get to them soon. So, all right, one last quick break and then we are back with my friend uh, Kevin Van Valkenburg, who did a deep dive on how Bill's quarterback Josh Allen went from a bit of a prospect punchline to, uh, you know, solidly in the MVP conversation. Okay, uh, last segment, and we are going to finish strong. Uh, Kevin Van Valkenburg is, is one of those sports writers who's worth the read every time. But uh, about two weeks ago, he wrote something that's of particular interest here in Kansas City right now. Uh, the piece is on ESPN.com right now. Uh, the headline is How Buffalo Bills Quarterback Josh Allen Went from Mediocrity to NFL MVP Contender. Um, if you Google Kevin Van Valkenburg, Josh Allen, it'll pop right up. And uh, I do hope you read it. It's, you know, even as someone who considers himself like well-read on these sorts of things, there's a ton in there that, that I didn't know. So um, Kevin was like me, um, honestly, like in sort of dismissing Josh Allen as a potential star, uh, just so inaccurate, like in college and his first year or two in the NFL. And uh, he's proved a lot of us wrong. And um, I asked Kevin to come on here and talk a little about the piece and what he learned about the quarterback who will be trying to end the Chiefs season this weekend. Um, okay, here we go. I love the piece, dude. And and like, I, I felt like the, the headline spoke to my soul, you know, because I've like kind of spent the last couple of years, you know, like making fun of the guy in our fantasy football team or fantasy yeah. football league, but like has Josh Allen and just, um, and he's just, he's turned it around. Like, um, what just like kind of broad stroke, like what, what was the biggest thing that you picked up from talking to all these people and doing the reporting about how this happened? I think it was probably just that we, you don't really know like when a player is actually going to develop, right? You, we ought to maybe have a little bit more patience, um, about quarterbacks because it's such a hard thing to, it's like the hardest job in all sports. Yeah. It's cliche, but it's probably true just considering all the burdens and all the things that you have to process in such a quick amount of time and all the, where you have to be both like a leader and a celebrity and a politician and a partner, right. you know, owner and race the franchise and all that. And I think that, you know, what particularly like Jordan Palmer was sort of emphasizing is like, you know, if, if you have some mechanical flaws, it just takes a little bit longer to kind of iron those out. And to be honest, Josh Allen did those uh, pretty darn quickly, like a, in a three-year span to kind of overhaul your release and everything that you've known intuitively for your whole life to, to suddenly get to the point where that feels natural. It's kind of like remaking a golf swing, right? It's almost like yeah. saying, you know, you know, if you're Tiger Woods, you're going to redo your golf swing. And so uh, that's what kind of I took away is like, maybe we should just be a little more patient with this stuff. Yeah. The stuff with, with Jordan Palmer, do, do we call him like his personal quarterbacks coach or whatever? I mean, you know, who's, 
done some one on one work with him. It's that stuff was great. Like, it, it, is is that those mechanical stuff she talked about, like a wider base, basically, you know, and some other things. Um, is that stuff that the Bills had been working on with him since they drafted him, or is that stuff that came more recent? Yeah, they knew. That, talking to Brian Dabble, they knew that um, he kind of had to sort of tweak some things, and that uh, you know they could figure out a way to get his hands a little higher and get him. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think a quarterback sort of guru, you know, personal quarterback coach is probably a good term for Jordan. And he doesn't just do this with Josh Allen. You know, he does this with thousands of high school kids and he was telling me he goes to run like camps in Germany for three weeks and so he's trying to sort of spread the gospel I kind of equated it to sort of like a, a guy who's like a bullpen catcher for his whole career and then he becomes <laughs> yeah. like a really great manager because he just sat and studied things and so Palmer's sort of you know explanation was that technology kind of allows people to understand you know things a little bit better he kept talking about the kinetic chain you know about mm-hmm. kinematic change excuse me not the kinetic, the kinematic change where you know your your throwing actually starts with your left hip you know not your it's like the release point is the last point when the ball you know is sort of completed the motion and so instead of you know throwing more with just your upper body it was a lot of understanding about how to start with your left hip and create energy from the ground up and then go into your torso and then into your shoulder and then your elbow and then your fingertips and I think all of that stuff, I, you know, it's, it would be unfair to say it's just Jordan Palmer. It would be unfair to say it's just the Bills. And I think it was sort of just a kind of a combination of all that. Plus, apparently Josh Allen is like super hyper competitive. Like he just constantly wants to compete in everything, everything, every single pro, every single thing. And, and people say that a lot about athletes. Oh, he's so competitive. But I guess with Allen, you know, it wasn't any of it. It was BS. It was sort of, you know, some of the, you, one thing it's true if you cover the NFL long enough is that nobody really hangs around very long or improves very much if they aren't willing to put in the work. Sure. And by putting the work, it means you have to be like obsessive about it. And I think that that's what's clear about Josh Allen is that he's pretty darn obsessive about it. And weirdly, like if you throw COVID into the mix, all he had to do was basically play football for seven months. And I think that was Allen's other big point is that and we'll never ever have an off season like this again. So if he was ever going to make a leap, this was going to be the time to do it because there was just no distractions and no charity golf tournaments, no commercials, no nothing except for just, well, we'd go out and throw for four or five hours today. Yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned the, the OC, Brian Dayball, and, um, you know, for, for people in Kansas city that remember him as the offensive coordinator here, it's, it's quite a change to, yeah. you know, see that he's like this hot name now. Um, but God, I mean, like I, I can't pretend that, that I've watched like every bills game that, Josh Allen has played, but it sure seems like the receivers are, are more open. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. sure that if this version of Josh Allen had an accuracy contest with, you know, combine Josh Allen, like, you know, the, the accuracy is improved. How much of it, from what you think, like, how much of it is just the offense? Like, receivers are more open, too. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you certainly we can't discount, like, Stephon Diggs is a really good, you know, player. And I actually yeah. know him from all the way back to his Maryland days where I just sort of felt like, God, if this kid ever gets in the right environment, he's going to be a super duper star. And you saw some of that in Minnesota, but then, you know, see really blossoming this year. So that you have to you know, factor that in, but the bills are just like super aggressive. I don't, I don't know or really remember what devil was like back in the city, but we had our sort of next generation stats. People look at stuff 
and they throw the Bills throw like 62 percent of the time on first down, which is the first like by far the highest number in the league. And I think you saw in that playoff game they started out by you know throwing like 20 straight plays to start off the game, and, and so it's almost like unheard of. What the NFL was like, you know, 10 years ago compared to what it's like now in terms of just this idea that establishing the run is like just a sort of laughable that no one really thinks about that anymore. And so, you know, is it possible that Brian Dabble learned a bunch of stuff from his various travels around the league and, you know, time with the Patriots and time with Nick Saban? Yeah, I think it would be silly to think he didn't pick up some of that. So you, you throw in a little bit of Stefan Diggs, you throw in a little bit more experience, you throw in Josh Allen, get more accurate. And then all of a sudden these things kind of come together and the Patriots happen to be down this year. And so it all sort of clicks. Yeah, yeah, you just hit a sort of critical mass of all these things coming together. But um, <laughs> the other thing I want to ask you about is, um, so I, I was just trying to like, what's the easiest way that when when I intro this, like, can I just say, um, you know, Google ESPN Josh Allen or you know, um, Google Kevin Van Balkenberg Josh Allen, and anyway, um, that sent me down this rabbit hole of Bills fans, like just very righteous Bill's hands about this piece and like they're finally eating crow and all that. Uh, what, what was the reaction like? Uh, Bill's fans seem different than I've always yeah. thought of Chiefs fans as like very sort of um, sensitive and, you know, yeah. screw you, you hate us, like all that stuff. But Bill's fans might be next level. What, what, what is the response then? This is pretty, pretty good. I think, you know, some of it was like, Oh, screw you. You're still too late. Like you should have, yeah. you know, and I, I want to be like, I've never actually written a lot of this stuff anyway. I just thought it. So I figured yeah. it's good to own up to thinking of it. But I think everybody who covers an NFL franchise, they kind of think, oh, our fan base is pretty sensitive, whatever. And I think that's probably true of most fan bases, but it does seem to me like Bills fans are another level. And I think some of that probably comes from, I mean, I, my brother-in-law is from Western New York. And that's kind of a uh, a place in the country that's a little bit like lost in time. Like I, one of the things I remember the most is like we went there for a funeral, and this was four years ago and stuff. And like ninety nine percent of the places wouldn't take credit cards. Like you either had cash or they would bring out the credit kind of credit card machine where they'd scan it with a carbon copy. You know, they kind yeah. of you know like those big uh, thing. So I think. Part of living in that area is sort of the immense pride that you feel about the fact that, hey, we still deserve an NFL franchise, and we, this is, you know, how dare you kind of dump on us? And I think that um, that sort of translates into this rabid fandom that is a little bit protective and maybe a little bit um, wanting to, to, you know, have the short guy syndrome of, like, wanting to fight anybody who doesn't uh, respect them enough. Right. Okay, really good stuff from Kevin, and I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, and I hope you read his piece. Thanks again to Kevin. All right, thank you guys for listening. I hope we're worth your time, and if I can impose, I hope we're worth subscribing to, rating, and reviewing. It really helps us get the word out. Thanks to Savannah Smith for putting this together. Thanks to everybody who called in, even those we couldn't get to this week. And again, the biggest thanks to you for listening. Um, Let's do it again next week. Have a great weekend. Be kind.